sensitive listeners and parents of young children should be advised. This next story is fearless. In 1997, on the day of my 17th birthday, 100,000 Albanians broke into military depots, robbed over 500,000 guns, and turned them against their own government. What followed was a year of fear, chaos, and anarchy. To survive the madness, I chose to become a poet rather than the next victim. I owe that decision to two crazy boys, 15 and 16 years old. Brass Knuckle Emnon and Crooked Jaw Kane. The spitting image of their mother, a 35-year-old widow with a mouth so bitter it could make a sailor cringe. Rumor had it she was the one to give those nicknames to the boys since they were infants, along with their cruelty and their resourceful ways to cause harm. She had become this way since the communist government had executed their father, a teacher who wrote poems of questionable ideology. Since then, she had raised the boys to become her weapons, and they were very, very capable weapons. These were my neighbors. We lived in the third floor of the same standard-issued concrete communist apartment building. Our doors stood across from each other, when we were out in the open, Cain moved like a shadow. You'd turn around and he'd be right there, breathing down your neck. His favorite game was to press a bird between the brick wall and his jaw until he heard its bones crack. He then would stick its bloody feathers under my door like love letters. He wrote me so many love letters, made sure I found them everywhere. Ribbons he had snatched from my hair were found inside my bicycle tires, which he had so lovingly slashed. One time, I don't know how he managed to climb up the rain gutter all the way to my third floor window ledge. My one and only dress was hanging in the clothesline, and he snatched it so hard the shoulders ripped. He threw it down and stood on the ledge, laughing, watching it slowly land in the dusty courtyard like a torn parachute. When I asked him why he would do such a thing, he answered, I just like to imagine your body going down with it. Since the loss of his father when he was a toddler, he only knew how to love things when they were dead. For him, to love meant to hurt. Now his brother Amnon was a mute mountain of mean, with hands that seemed to be twice the size of his body. I feared his hands more than anything. They were these huge brass knuckle snares where I got caught again and again in the no man's land between our doors. One time, he pressed a 9mm gun in the hall of my neck. I had better sense than to fight him. So I stood still, biting halfway through my bottom lip, my eyes fixed on a curious crack in the wall, growing each time Cain banged his head on it on the other side. Amnon was messing with me just to spite his own brother. And somehow, 
It made me feel less alone to know he was torturing us both. The day war broke out, and all the men and boys in the neighborhood rushed to kidnap rifles and guns, breaking into military depots, prisons, or police stations. Brass knuckle Mnon and Crooked Jaw Kane came riding through the neighborhood on a stolen army tank, high on bloodthirst and sniff glue, with AK-47s hanging on their necks. They played marksman's games with my window for hours, which turned into days. It became a habit for me to sleep on the floor away from potential stray bullets. In my mother's house, there is still to this day a shoebox of empty shells somewhere, relics collected every morning from our balcony during that terrible month. Through the war days, I survived those boys by the grace of God, with a King James Bible and an old typewriter. I wrote poems about love, forgiveness, anything and everything too much alive to die at their hands. The day I left for America, Cain shot every single flower pot still remaining on any window ledge in the neighborhood, howling like a betrayed wolf. I did not turn around to look at him or his mean brother whistling and cheering him on. I wished them both dead. Then ten years later, when word of their simultaneous deaths reached me in a stifling hot southern afternoon in Georgia, my seven-month unborn son flipped inside my womb at the shock that overtook my body. They had died together in a car engulfed by flames during a drug bust. Their memory made me weep ferociously, tears of anger, sadness, and relief. I thought of them, but not as the two hard men who had died in that car, or the two teenage boys who had so ruthlessly bullied me throughout high school, but when they had been two naked infants on a cold tile floor, begging with lament for the breasts of their widowed mother. She was so angry at her loss, she could not look beyond her husband's death. She decided to be in mourning for the rest of her life, and she concealed her milk and love from her sons beneath a heavy black dress she wore every season. I could not understand why she chose to do this, murder them slowly with her venom to avenge her loneliness. How her choice set them on a path that brought so much pain and grief to many. I realize, in their own strange way, they had tried their best to show love for me, the only way their mother had taught them how. I touched my pregnant belly and I vowed, no son of mine will grow unloved. No son of mine will ever raise his hand to hurt. For as a man has destroyed his enemy, so has thou lost the love of thy neighbor. Gypsy Yo is the author of three poetry collections in her native tongue and four audio CD collections in English, including Kitchen Sink Drama and Firstborn Daughters. 
That piece was produced by Jamie DeWolf with a sound design by Pat Masidi Miller. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.